Hi, everybody. It's uh, Saturday morning, 11 o'clock, and it is time right now for us to start the real estate coffee break. So now's a good time to get started. Watch this. God gave you 100,000 watts of power, but it's up to you to put them to work. This is the John Adams Radio Show. Bringing you truth, justice, and the American way of making money. I'm John Adams. Seated firmly in the free enterprise chair, speaking directly into the golden EMR microphone, this is Excellence in Money Radio. Coming to you live from an undisclosed location in a bunker somewhere in the southeastern United States, perhaps Southern Command headquarters on beautiful St. Simons Island, the crown jewel of Georgia's coastal empire. Thence broadcast 23,300 miles directly into outer space. This week affiliates, SATCOM 5. Thence rebroadcast all across the fruited plain to our vast EMR network. 331 stations plus the island of Guam. That's just the way it is. I am thrilled to have you with us for this special edition of the John Adams Radio Show. Let not your hearts be troubled. We will solve your real estate problems today. And as the sun rises on the American Empire, we are gonna, we've got a great show for today. That's just all there is to it. And I am thrilled that you are with us. It is uh, Saturday, and boy, have we got a lot to cover today. We need to get right to it, but let me tell you, we have got a lot to talk about today. Um, what? I have that problem. I do need to warn you that the views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the opinion of station management, but they should because this program makes more sense than anything else out there right now. A little special thank you to our sponsors before we get started. Um, if you have mortgage lending needs, you need to talk to Peter Burke. And he has that easy to remember phone number, 678-557-9759. Um, he's happy just to answer lending questions, even if you don't use him for a loan. 
Um, and believe it or not, hey, that's his cell phone and he works all weekend. So that's the kind of people I like that give you their cell phone and say, call me if you need me. Um, that's what's called service. Another person that does that is Bill Preston over at American Comfort Heating, Cooling, and Air Quality. They're bringing comfort to America one home at a time. Hey, it's cold outside. What was it? Was that a Dean Martin song? Baby, it's cold outside. I'm not very good at Dean Martin. <clears throat> so you should be asking yourself, who is John Adams and why the heck? Should you listen to me? Well, the answer is pretty clear. I've been a property manager in Georgia for over 40 years now. I'm an investor and an entrepreneur. I spoke French for those of you in Smyrna. Entrepreneur means somebody who puts their money to use in a capitalistic way which is getting harder and harder to do in this country, but we don't want to talk about that. Been a licensed Georgia broker since 1977, and I've had no complaints with the Georgia Real Estate Commission. I've never been arrested. I've never been bankrupt, although I've come close. Not going to tell you which. And I wrote the Landlord Survival Guide, which uh, that was in about 1995, 94, and we have sold literally tens of thousands of them because it's a good practical guide to how to stay out of federal prison and be a landlord. You know, it used to be, we just tried to help people be good landlords, but now if you mess up, you're going to federal prison, buddy. So we don't want that to happen. And perhaps most important is I am an Eagle Scout and that means I am trustworthy. Uh, in fact, uh, just as a, to revisit that, I am trustworthy. That means you could leave overnight at a Motel 6 with me, your wife, your daughter, your son, and nothing would happen for I am trustworthy. In fact, it would be a good experience for them because they'd learn something about real estate. And uh, so we have got a lot to cover today. Let's start with our quote for today. This is from Vince Lombardi. What that great coach of the Green Bay Packers. He, and let's just talk about um, what he's saying here. Desire, a burning desire is the starting point of all accomplishment. Just like a small fire cannot give much heat, a weak desire cannot produce great results. So if you're looking to buy that first house, we've got some great advice and practical um, help for you today. If you're a real estate investor looking to buy that next rental property, stay tuned because we've got a lot for you. We'll come back on those others. We all know the truth about real estate from John Stuart Mill, 19th century philosopher and economist. And he said, landlords grow rich in their sleep. And that's what I want to do. I like getting rich in my sleep, and I bet you do as well. So what is on the agenda for today? Well, in the first hour, we're going to be talking about tools you can use. My first guest is real estate attorney Rachel Iverson. Next, uh, we're going to talk about some first-time homebuyer down payment assistance. Now, this is going to vary by state. I'm going to focus on Georgia, but this stuff is all over the nation. And you just need to find out about it. And usually they recharge these things in January. Guess what? 
it's January. Next, we're going to um, learn about Section 1031 tax-free exchanges. Now, this is primarily investor tools. In other words, you can't use 1031 on your principal residence. However, um, it is a extremely powerful tool that many real estate investors overlook. And uh, we're going to look at it today in detail. Then we're going to have our intermission. Next, we're going to have our landlord hour with Ian Robbins and yours truly. We'll be talking about the upcoming $25 billion in landlord relief or rental assistance, if you want to call it that. And then Ian and I are going to cover the big three in tenant screening, rental history, employment and income, and credit history. Because as far as I'm concerned, that's really about all that matters. So let's get started. I do want to remind you, hey, look at this. I bet you've never seen this before. Here's an actual photograph of me. Um, and Margie has always called me the old reliable. Uh, and I don't know why she calls me that, but this was an actual photograph taken of me that I, no, it's not. It's, hey, this is our buy and hold strategy. I'm not going to spend much time on it because we don't have time, but I just want you to know it's there. Um, and uh, the basis of real estate is five key features, income underpins it all. Real estate generates income. We also get depreciation and other tax benefits. And the tax benefits are great, although the incoming Biden administration is planning an assault on some of those. We'll keep you posted. Your equity tends to build up over time, and that's a good thing. And we get appreciation from two, not one, but two sources. The first is just economic it costs more to build houses today. Therefore, the price goes up. There's scarcity involved, okay? There are only so many pieces of land, but there's also forced appreciation. We're going to do a whole show on forced appreciation one of these days. And finally, leverage. And the acronym for these five key features is IDEAL. And that's why I think real estate is ideal. And you can memorize that so that when somebody says, well, why should I invest in real estate? You say, well, there are five reasons. And you just spin those off and they're very impressed at that point. I sincerely believe you can retire comfortably on as few as 10 little rental units. And this is sort of an ideal little rental unit right here. It's small, but it rents like a charm. And uh, it's an older house, but uh, boy, it's gone up in value is all I can tell you. So I need to let you know that the 2021 Landlord Survival Guide is out for Georgia. And you can pick one up right now. If you have not been a subscriber before, you can subscribe for $197. If you have been, we have steep discounts. And the way to find out is to go to uh, realestatecoffeebreak.com and click on webinar specials and it'll tell you all about them. And by the way, we have completely updated and rewritten the killer lease for 2021. In fact, this has been going on for a couple of months now. The way it works is you end up with a subscription for a full year. That's because we are constantly updating and changing the lease based on 
uh, court decisions based on changes in federal and state and municipal law um, and, and county ordinances. And it's just a never ending quest. And I'm really proud of what we've done with the legal team for 2021. So two hands raised. All right. Was it, does that mean I should take those questions? Sure. Why not? I need to click down here. How do I do that? Go to participants. And I'm going to allow Krishna Akella to talk. Krishna, you need to unmute your microphone and, and say, hi, John. Hi, John. Hi, Krishna. Thanks for waiting and welcome to the program. What's on your mind today? John, with the COVID situation still going on, yes. what, what are our protections to make sure that we get our rent paid on time and we are still able to evict uh, for the non-paying renters? Any improvements in that area? Could you please uh, guide us? I'll be happy to. And thank you so much for that question, Krishna. I'm going to mute you right now and just talk about it briefly. We will go into that in greater detail, Krishna, in the second hour. However, just to let you know, um, we are currently under a one-month extension of the CDC agency order banning certain evictions for non-payment of rent for qualifying individuals. They have to um, make a declaration. And what I'm finding is that the vast majority of people either don't make the declaration, meaning you can go ahead and evict them, or if they do make the declaration, they don't uh, qualify for it. And there are a number of reasons that you can challenge that. But we had recently guidance from the United States Department of Justice, Krishna, saying that you can, a landlord is allowed to challenge the validity of the tenant's declaration. What that means is you can get into court. So if somebody falls behind on their rent, even if they have given you a declaration, my advice would be first to look at this tenant and see if there's any possibility that their declaration is invalid. And I would think about 99 times out of 100, you'll be able to determine that their declaration is invalid. Why would I say that? Well, for starters, they have to show that they've been impacted by COVID. Well, that's easy. Everybody's been impacted by COVID, okay? But next, they have to show that they have exhausted every potential avenue of assistance. And I don't think that's humanly possible. There are so many avenues of assistance. So all you'd have to do in court is say, um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to ask the court to ask the, um, the defendant here um, all, to list all of the avenues for relief that they have sought and attempted to obtain. And I'd also like them to uh, tell the court that they are simply incapable of making any payment whatsoever. That is another requirement of the declaration. And there's not a soul that doesn't have a penny. There's not a soul that has exhausted every potential avenue of uh, rent 
assistants. They're just too many. And so all of a sudden, the judge is going to look around and say, well, I don't know what to do. And then you say, well, I'd like to, could your honor, could we try to work something out? Um, can we retire to a, a private room and talk about this? And they're going to be delighted. And that's when you pull out a consent order. And at that point, you are converting the past due rent to a judgment that is good for 10 years. Uh, and that's going to be on that person's credit report for 10 years. And, and you can even renew it after that. So Krista, th those are some ideas. We could go into greater detail, but that's a great question. And I do very much appreciate um, your being here with us today. Oh, that guidance. If you would like to get that guidance, let me turn off the screen share for just a second while I'm doing this. Great. Um, Krishna, if you would like to, or anybody, get that Department of Justice guidance that we got a couple of weeks ago from the DOJ, um, HHS, and CDC. It's very interesting because DOJ is taking a much lighter hand than did Health and Human Services. So how you get that is go to money99, oh, I'm sorry, go to realestatecoffeebreak.com and click on what? Resources. Resources. It's the first and it's the first, first option. Okay, so it's got everything you need right there. Go to realestatecoffeebreak.com and uh, click on resources and you'll find a lot of good stuff there. Krishna, thank you. All right, we've got to get to our, and I appreciate that Jack and Angie uh, have raised their hands. Y'all stay right there because we have got to forge ahead, but I promise I will come back to you guys. So let's move ahead with our very first guest here. I'm gonna jump right over this because this could take all afternoon and I wanna get to our first guest. Um, I do wanna remind you next Wednesday at 4 p.m. I will be teaching live um, a webinar, a one hour webinar on how to use video in your business. It's called Video Made Easy. And we'll be talking about why video is powerful, how to set up a studio for $150 or less, how to boost your SEO, your organic SEO, not purchased, and how to build a large audience, how to monetize your videos, how to screen prospective tenants, how to do all this for almost nothing. And I'm going to be presenting it live myself. And that's Wednesday, January 20th from 4 to 5 p.m. We'll do a live Q&A after that. And as this is free for all realtors and landlords. Now, if you don't qualify for that, it's $49. But everybody gets a manual. Everybody gets a workbook. And you're going to have to register at money99.com and click on video. And I don't think the video button's up yet, is it? It's going to be up this afternoon. So go to money99.com and click on video. And this is limited to the first 100 registrants because more than that, we can't handle. Um, we've got a new format this week. Um, we're going to have a pre-recorded segment for each topic. And during that 
presentation, I want you to ask your questions in the Q&A. The Q&A is down at the bottom of your screen, okay? And then you can watch the Q&A on your screen and join in. And so while the replay, while, while the interview is playing, I'll be answering questions that you're asking live dealing with this topic or any other topic you'd like. And uh, I would love for you to, uh, we will try to include this in the replay. I hope it works, but we'd like you to participate. And this is something new that we're trying and I'll be back live in between segments. Our first guest is real estate attorney, Rachel Iverson. Rachel has been a friend and a, um, a trusted resource for me, for many years, she is with Nelson and Galbraith, attorneys at law. Um, and uh, as you can see, uh, she not only gives it, and they have five lows, closing locations in Metro Atlanta, but they, they're also all over. I know a lot of you South Carolina people are looking for a closing attorney. Call Rachel. She will take care of you. There's her office number. She also wanted me to make sure that you had her cell phone. And very few attorneys do that. And it's very impressive to me. So uh, I am proud to present to you Rachel Iverson. And we're going to be talking about changes in the real estate settlement procedure due to the pandemic. And there's nobody that knows better. Here we go. Um, well, thanks so much for having me today. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. And um, I am with Nelson and Galbraith. Uh, our um, firm is based in Greenville, South Carolina as our headquarters. We have um, several offices in South Carolina, uh, Charleston, Columbia, Greenville, Spartanburg. And I um, was fortunate enough to be asked to expand Nelson and Galbraith into Atlanta, Georgia. Um, wow. Well, you've got a beautiful... Um, office setup. You guys have been so generous um, to me and to members of the real estate community who needed a place for continuing ed, but I'm afraid the pandemic sort of slowed that down a little bit, didn't it? It did. It did. We have a wonderful conference facility. Um, we'd love to open that up for education. We have certainly gone like everyone else to Zoom education, and we look forward to the uh, days when we can have you all back in these the conference center. Well, I can tell you from personal experience, it is top notch. And uh, um, there's there, you guys have more buttons and buzzers and bells and whistles than, than any place I think I've ever been. And it really is conducive to continuing it. And, and uh, we thank you for that. Um, Rachel, the pandemic has changed how the legal community approaches um, settlement, what a lot of people just call closing. And I, I, I should say that I have been surprised over the years that what I consider the archaic combination of uh, lenders wanting to do things the old-fashioned way, the legal community wanting to accommodate their clients, and perhaps worst of all, government um, uh, in the clerk's office where they record everything, 
operating with this incredibly fractured 159 counties in Georgia, and every county does it a little bit differently. And um, until recently, we had people still actually making entries by hand into the grantor-grantee index. And how has that process changed in the age of COVID-19? Yeah, you're right. And we both remember those <laughs> manual entries. Um, it, it has changed, but it really hasn't changed as much as you or I might have expected. Um, there were um, several steps we took when uh, COVID, you know, it became apparent that we had an issue with COVID and um, such as having people do drive up closings. Uh, we, until July 1, we went out with sanitized clipboards, masks, gloves, and we had people sign in their cars. Uh, to, this, to this day, we still have buyers and sellers signing separately. Um, but we were thrilled, really excited in March when um, the Supreme Court, um, first the governor issued an executive order and that executive order allowed for communication technology to be used um, to um, conduct real estate transactions. So uh, you could have a Zoom call. Uh, we, we use Zoom like a Kleenex these days. As yeah. a term. <laughs> um, you could have a Zoom call. And as long as you were in the state of Georgia and there was a lawyer who was a notary or a witness and a notary or a witness um, on the call. Um, the documents could be signed. They would just be sent to the lawyer's office. We still have to wet signature. Um, so the witness signs as a wet signature and the notary signs as a wet signature. That's not the case in some states. Um, there's remote online notification. We do not have that in Georgia. Um, I like what we have, but um, we thought well, this is terrific. This is going to, we're going to not have anybody come in the office. We're all going to be safe. Um, let me just mention that the Supreme Court had to issue an executive order authorizing us to conduct real estate closings that and way. This, so we, we're talking about the Georgia Supreme Court? The Georgia Supreme Court, right. yes. Right. So um, the governor issued the emergency order, and then the um, Georgia Supreme Court issued an order which permitted us to. Um, conduct closings with uh, Zoom type technology and have the witness and notary. As long as the person was in Georgia, and that's a really key point, um, we'll have people down in Florida or people who have decided to um, quarantine in other states. And they think that I, as a Georgia lawyer and a witness can get on and um, we'll all be golden. But in that case, we have they have to have a witness and notary from the state they're in. Right, and so, I guess in South Carolina, if you had a South Carolina, Georgia transfer, uh, Nelson Galbraith could handle the whole thing. Absolutely. And we do that quite a bit because there are people uh, closing um, transactions in South Carolina that are located in Georgia and vice versa. Well, I would um, think Augusta would be a real hotbed for you guys just because there's North Augusta and, and Augusta and it's sort of split right there in the river. Sure. Yes. Of course, South Carolina doesn't have uh, this wonderful order that we have. Um, okay. So they can't do things exactly the same way. But we do we do um, benefit from being able to uh, notarize for South Carolina transactions. One, one, one of my most unpleasant memories 
um, over the many years that I've been a broker is sitting around. I go way back. I, I go back to uh, King and Spalding days back in Atlanta, which was, I think that was 1913. That may have been my first closing. I'm not sure. But in any case, you're supposed to laugh, Rachel. Um, <laughs> I did not have a closing in 19. I know you didn't. <laughs> I know you know, but I, I other people, there are people out there looking saying, wow, he's really old. So, um, here's, I, I have these memories of sitting around King and Spalding and waiting for the lender to courier the package over. Where's the package? Well, we were scheduled to close at three o'clock on Friday afternoon. Whoops, we don't have the package. And so here you are, it's 7 p.m. The, the courier calls and says they're on the way and it turns out they really aren't. And you'll have to postpone to Monday. And of course, all the documents have to be retyped because they weren't in a computer. And they That's were right. all manually prepared. How has that changed when you get all of your authorizations and so forth and all of your document requirements from the lender? Is all of that now electronic? It is. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I also remember the career days. I also remember hand typing settlement statements before we had the software. So at the risk of dating myself, but that has certainly changed. And um, we now receive the packages electronically. I think the real estate closing industry was a little slow, um, but finally I uh, realized this is not the way to operate having couriers, especially driving Atlanta traffic um, to pick up packages. So um, all of our packages now come electronically. We don't wow. have, uh, we don't have couriers going back and forth. And what do they do? They send you the package ahead of time and then just send you authorization to release funds at the last minute or? Yeah, they do. So there's different, there's different um, lenders have different procedures. Some won't send a package until they have a clear to close. Some will. Um, basically, we want that what we call CTC clear to close so that we know everything we're getting, we're going to we're going to be closing and it's going to be funded. Then we send documents to them to look at. They say, OK, you can fund. We wire funds. We used to get cashier's checks from the lenders. Uh, Georgia statute doesn't allow that anymore, but. Um, For so, a very good reason, I would like yeah, to point out. Yes, we all remember probably that uh, for some of us too. Um, oh dear. So, so that's the case. When, when in Georgia, when we learned we were going to be able to notar witness and notarize, we were, we were excited. We didn't want a lot of people coming in and out of our offices um, during COVID. Uh, we, we did find, and we do a lot with refinances. Um, lenders have been very more lenient with refinances, but we do find that a lot of lenders will not allow the Zoom calls for buyers that are getting a mortgage. So we still aren't able to do that across the board. We're in our office every day. Um, we're talking with Rachel Iverson, who is um, an attorney at law, closing attorney, extraordinaire, I might say with Nelson Galbraith in Atlanta. By the way, if somebody, we've got a lot of real estate agents and investors on the phone uh, and, and watching right now. Rachel, if they had a question um, about either a legal matter or how to pull together a contract, is that something you could help them with? And if so, how would they reach you? 
Absolutely. Um, we provide legal description for agents. That's one thing every agent needs for their contract. Um, our group email address is GAClosingsCLOSINGS at Nelson, N E L S O N, Galbraith, G as in girl, A L B R E A T H dot com. And believe it or not, I'm going to give you my cell phone number. And, and uh, while you're doing that, I'm going to display it right on the screen for okay. everybody to, to jot down. What is it, please? Agents can text me or call me. That's one thing we feel like we offer that not every firm does. That's 404-277-1566. We are, Rachel, we're just about out of time, but I do want to ask, um, Most of the contract writing software that agents are using now, whether it's SkySlope or, or uh, FMLS or Georgia, all of them now offer an electronic signature that they claim is 128-bit verified. And I don't know what that means, but they seem to think that that's wonderful. Um, and we don't get wet signatures hardly ever on contracts to buy or contracts to sell now. When will the day come that we won't need any wet signatures on a closing at all? The whole thing can be done with just the push of a button. Well, that's a great question. And uh, I did a seminar in DC 25 years ago, predicting it would be much sooner than today. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, State of Georgia, certainly um, other states may differ, uh, feel strongly that um, documents that have to be witnessed and notarized have to have a wet signature for recording. So we are um, transitioning to e-signing. There's a lot of lenders that do e-sign most of their package, um, but we still have that those recorded documents. I don't know if it's going to be uh, during my career that it happens. I would have never guessed it, but... You'll, you'll, I don't have the crystal ball working today. Well, you'll appreciate that not too long ago, I spoke to the uh, um, clerk of court in Glenn County. We're here on St. Simon's Island today. And uh, uh, we've got a little cottage down here. So I called the clerk superior court and I said, uh, can I use an e-signature on a quick claim deed? And he said, we don't do that kind of thing around here, buddy. You must be from Atlanta. <laughs> we don't do it in Atlanta either. I guess <laughs> not. not. I, I guess not. Rachel Iverson, Nelson Galbraith, thank you so much for your time today. We have sort of run out, but would you be willing to come back another time and, and help us with your legal insight and wisdom and uh, try to help us keep the the uh, tires on the road. How about that? I would love to. Um, it's been great talking with you. It's always great seeing you. All right. Rachel Iverson, Nelson Galbraith. Thanks so much, Rachel. You. See you soon. Have a great day. Bye now. Bye. Well, the right arrow didn't work, but there we go. So, um, that was um, our good friend Rachel Iverson with Nelson Galbraith in the Atlanta area and a, a really good resource for you if you are a home buyer, if you are a real estate professional, if you are a real estate investor. Because remember, agents 
Uh, I've been a licensed broker for many, many years, but that does not mean that I can practice law without a law degree. Um, I know a lot of you people do it. Um, and our good friend, Seth Weissman, um, obviously has, has done a yeoman's job of providing 800,000 new forms for GAR. I'm, I'm sorry, it's 800,001. But um, nonetheless, we need to be careful about constructing uh, legal agreements and make sure that we have an attorney involved uh, if there's any question. And that's where somebody like Rachel comes in and they can do a great job for you, okay? And if you have any questions about that, please put them in q and I'm trying to answer these as quickly as I can. Our next guest is uh, gonna talk to you about first-time buyer down payment assistance. This is great. And I want you to see this. So, so uh, let's get started. If you have any questions about this, put them in q and I'm gonna go ahead and start the next segment. Um, and we're gonna be uh, uh, in this uh, video. I'll be answering your questions while this is playing. And we are back with our very special guest, Peter Burke of Reliant Mortgage Solutions. Hello, Dr. Burke, the doctor of democracy, the master of money, the the landlord of lending. All of good the good afternoon or good morning, everybody. Nice to see you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hey, did you get the news? We are on Apple iTunes podcast. I can't wait. I am very excited. I did hear it through the grapevine. And Google Podcast. We're big time. And Stitcher. And I don't even know what Stitcher is. Oh, it's the best app around for listening to podcasts. Well, and it's free. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to be uh, have the real estate coffee break now as part of that. So, Peter Burke with Reliant Mortgage Solutions. Um, I had asked you if we could talk today about a couple of things. Um, one, you and I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that at least I believed that upon the arrival of the new administration, there's going to be a wall of money coming down Peachtree Street and every other street from Washington, D.C., to get the the economy back on track, although it's actually performed pretty well. Um, yeah. But we're just not going to have a problem with money. So the first question was, um, is there any, um, any money out there to help Georgia home buyers um, make home ownership possible? We've got people listening to this program. For starters, a lot of realtors who need to know that. But yes. uh, additionally, we have people who want to buy a house. And second, what are interest rates doing today? Well, John, I can handle both of those topics. They're very timely. I can show someone where to get $7,500 or $10,000 that they can apply as part of their down payment or their closing costs if they're buying a home somewhere in Georgia. Can, can I get the money if I'm not buying a home? Because I, I wouldn't mind it. No. Oh, 
All right. Well, so, let's go to the slides. What do you got? Excellent. I will bring it up here. And isn't technology a wonderful thing? Technology is a wonderful thing. There we go. That looks good. Okay. Oh, there and, it is. Uh, there it is. And you can click on the present button in the upper right hand corner. Yes. Ain't computers wonderful? Look at this. So, so uh, here we've got it. If you're a first time home buyer, you may be eligible for $7,500 or $10,000. If you're one of the, uh, uh, you meet the criteria of someone who's entitled to that, and that's um, current or, re or retired law enforcement. Look, look at your screen, Peter. Oh, John, there's your badge. Yes. Oh, is that upside down? The, uh... <laughs> well, that's right side up. It's got my name right on it. It's probably very helpful for speeding tickets. It is. It is. That's a whole nother story. But well, I think this is great. 7,500. Now, what do you have to do to qualify for this? Because the 10,000 for current or retired law enforcement, educators, healthcare, veterans, first responders, and COVID. That's a lot of people. Yes, and Georgia follows the national definition of what a COVID-related essential worker is. Google it, but it is a broad list. So um, if you aren't one of the prior categories, uh, you might be one of the essential workers. An example of a COVID-related essential worker is if you work in a call center. And um, if you're a home buyer and you would have qualified for 7,500, well, now you may qualify for the 10,000 if, for example, you're one of those essential workers. Very interesting. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, first time home buyers, we have people listening to this program who used to own a home, lost it, say in 2009 through you know, either loss of job or health challenges or whatever, and now they're back on their feet. Are they considered first time or how does that work? Federal definition um, is applicable and it's, um, I believe it's three years, not two years, but um, if you haven't owned a home in the last three years, you are considered a first time home buyer. Wow, okay, all right, good. And on the 10,000, is that also for quote first time? It's it's seventy five hundred or ten thousand for anyone. Okay. But you okay. could get the ten thousand if you're a first time home buyer and you work in one of the eligible professions. Got it. Got it. Now let's talk about income eligibility. What do we got here? Always where the uh, devil is in the details. Yeah. So. Your household income as defined, and there's a number of lookup tools, um, depending upon the size of your household, one, two, three, eight people, and the household income, again, as defined, um, in order to maintain eligibility, your income can't be greater than 80% of the area median income. 
And there are some great simple lookup tools that you can calculate it. But I provided an example for a household in DeKalb and for Glynn County, which I think um, is uh, coastal. That it is. In fact, I am in beautiful, I'm in sight of the marshes of Glynn right now. And now is this annual or is this monthly? Because I think <laughs> I exceed it annually. This is annual. Again, well, this is designed for what's considered low moderate income home buyers. Well, I always this thought I was sort of a moderate kind of home buyer. I, I only own in the double digits. Is that not moderate? No. If your income works, you qualify. I don't think it's going to. What else have we got? Uh, what can you use the money for? Use it as part of your down payment or closing costs. Okay. Um, and by the way, to offset the remainder of your down payment, you can get gift funds from a family member. I don't have it in there, but the home buyer's only contribution has to be a grand total of $1,000, which can be part of your appraisal cost or home inspection. Um, so your contribution um, maxes out. It has to be at least $1,000 into the transaction. Very, but you very can use this on an FHA uh, loan where you're only required to have 3.5% that 7,500 or 10,000 could be part of that three and a half percent. Sure could. Wow, this is great. And is it forgiven? Yes, this is a loan, not a grant. It doesn't require repayment. It's a lien against title. After five years of you maintaining home ownership, presumably it disappears. Wow. Look, I've, I've gotten loans from you, Peter, for a long time. And why have you never put a five-year forgiveness provision in my loans? You never asked. <laughs> Where is this money coming from? The Federal Home Loan Bank of Atlanta, as part of their Affordable Housing Program Homeownership set aside program very Mouthful. interesting okay and if somebody wanted to know more about this um uh, is for starters is it is this going to be around in six months i mean it, it has been around for as long as i know i've known i've been in the mortgage business 20 years it's always been there the money runs out and it's always a mystery as to when the money runs out, but it does run out during the course of a year and then it's evergreen. It comes back the next year, okay. but um, they've just refund. They've just funded it for 2021. And um, my suggestion is if you want to use it or know someone who wants to use it, tell them about it. Peter, would this be good for a, um, because we've got all manner of people listening right now. We've got, let's just say millennials who are looking for their first time house um, and they may be married, they may not be. Um, but is this something that a young person could use to buy their first house likely? Yeah, you know, that's, I, I believe typically who who is motivated to want to use this 
I would believe it's those millennials. They're the ones that are buying their first home. Um, and my suggestion is don't poo-poo it and say it's a lot of red tape. It's really not. Um, but call and find out if your lender is participating. We do participate in that program. And the first step is, is determining that income because that's the first hurdle and uh, the most important part of it. And then there's some classes that you must attend that are online, nothing too strenuous, yeah. but uh, take advantage of it is my very, suggestion. Very interesting. If anybody wanted to know more about that, is that something you'd be willing to chat with them about? Absolutely. They are welcome to call or text or email me. Six, call seven, eight. Always easy. Six, seven, eight, five, five, seven, 97, 59. The easy yes. to remember number real quick. Give us a rates update. What are rates? I mean, I, I, this is ridiculous. I've got it. And here's a little, uh, comment. They, they started off with a little bit of an increase from the lows of the previous week little bit of improvement from uh, by Wednesday, but still not as low as they were last week, but it's insignificant. It's insignificant. And here's some examples of uh, rates. Uh, let's start off with if you're refinancing the home you live in or a second home and 80% loan to value, got a 740. Let's say it's a loan of 200,000. You don't want any cash out. There's your rate, 2.75 with no points. Fantastic. Yes, and I put off to the side, if you want a 15-year with no points, 2.375. Wow. You might find rates below two, but you're probably going to have to pay two points to get there. That just doesn't make sense, does it? No. Okay. Okay. Let's say you want to buy a home, putting down 20%, $400,000 home. There's your rate, 2.625 with no points. Very, uh, that's remarkable. Yep. That's simply remarkable. And refinance and cash out of a rental property, popular topic for a right. single family. Look at that. 70% loan to value, $140,000 loan. That is unbelievable. Is that 15 or 30? That's 30. 15 is probably three and a quarter. Wow. You know, is is the, the, the differential between the 30 and the 15 appears to have shrunk a little bit. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Because we used, you and I used to talk about uh, 50 basis points as being, you know, what we'd like to see. And not, I don't see that anywhere here. Yeah, it's not. It's not. You know, and it's funny. 20-year uh, and 25-year are even higher than 30. It's just, it's silly to even look at them. Why would that be? Nuances of who buys bonds. I guess. And if I come across a great deal on a, a rental property and I think, man, I want to buy this and uh, I can put down 20% in cash, I got pretty good credit. Um, 
What are we looking at here? 3.625. That's excellent. Yeah, these are That's rates you'll never need to refinance again. I say that because they can't go any lower. I, I will personally guarantee that. Um, that's, uh, this is simply remarkable. Are you busy as, Ooh. as a, as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs? Uh, we are busy, but we're trying to get to everyone. So, um, but we are busy. Yes. Well, that's fantastic. Real quick. Talk to us about some more of these loans. Uh, you know, um, I'll tell you, a 15-year mortgage is probably the one mortgage that people ask for, uh, ask ask about most often. And one thing I say, and I, I can almost assure you, if you have a 15-year loan today, we can almost prove to you it makes no sense to refinance it, even if it's a half point or three quarters of a point higher than these rates. It's remarkable that at some, those loans, a few years into it, you never have to refinance a 15 year. You look at the rate and say, gosh, I can get lower. But when you put it to paper, you can never get it to make sense. And it, it, there, there's no benefit to a homeowner. It's is the last loan you'll need. Is that because they start so aggressively paying down the, yeah. the principal from day one? They amortize so quickly it never, it almost never makes sense. And the farther you yeah. are into the loan, the less the interest is going to be an impact. So yeah, very interesting. Just, well, it does that, not make. Yeah, that's that's uh, to some extent contrary to the John Adams doctrine, which is, if I could get a hundred-year mortgage, I'd take it, fixed rate. <laughs> yeah, so, I know. If you come across any hundred-year loans, would you call me, please? Sure, absolutely. Peter Burke, Reliant Mortgage Solutions, 678-557-9759. Hey, look at the magic chalkboard. It's 678-557-9759. Peter, are you working today? I am, John. All right, I so am. you'll answer the phone, or yes. if you're already on the phone, it may go to voicemail, but you'll get back to us. Yes, Fantastic. all righty. Peter, thank you so much. We appreciate Thanks, John. it. Thanks, everybody. See you Have again real soon, day. okay? Yep, thank Bye you. Bye now. Okay. Well, that was certainly interesting. We had a number of good questions during the Q&A. Yeah, on the Q&A um, uh, during that segment. And I would point out, Peter was talking about uh, those loans uh, other than the down payment assistance, I'm talking about the ones at the end, the rates for for uh, non-special people, not first-time homebuyers. Um, those were all notated as requiring a credit score of 740. But I want to make it real clear, um, Reliant Mortgage Solutions has a variety of loan programs for a variety of different uh, credit situations. And they also specialize in FHA loans where there is no, technically, there is no minimum credit score. Now, the lender may impose their own minimum credit score, but FHA does not. And um, so I would just say 
pick up the phone and call Peter rather than uh, saying, oh, well, I can't qualify for this because he's just got, you know, there are a lot of different programs and rates are so low right now that I think you are well um, um, advised, even if the rate is, is a little bit higher because your credit score, if you're waiting to get your credit score up to 740 in order to lock in a refi or lock in a purchase, um, by the time you get it up that high, it may, interest rates may be who knows where. I mean, anything literally can happen. And so I would just encourage you to go ahead, call Peter, get the ball rolling. Um, and he never charges for that kind of advice. So uh, that's my advice. So, and that's your, that's what you're paying for here. Okay. Let's go to, and we are back. I don't want to talk to Peter again. And Oh, by the way, here's his phone number, 678-557-9759. I'm going to share the screen and we'll go right to our next segment. Um, let's see. I'm going to click share. You know what we're going to do, Marge? I'm going to save John Mangum for next week. Okay. And I'm going to take a couple of questions. Yeah, the, uh, All right, the raised hands, because some of you have raised your hands and I want to get to you guys. And um, here we go. Um, Jack is waiting for me. Jack, if you will unmute your microphone and say hello i'll know that you're there jack may have gone to get a gin and tonic hi jack are you with me jack all right well we will come back to jack and i'm going to go to angie and say angie please unmute your microphone and say hello Angie may have gone to get a tequila sunrise. That's okay. Let's go to Ryan, who has raised his hand. And I'm going to uh, ask Ryan to unmute. And then if he'll unmute, all he has to do is say hello, and he'll be on the real estate coffee break. Ryan, are you with me? We're... I'm going to try Lorna and then that'll, that'll sort of be it. Hi, Lorna. I'm going to ask you to unmute and uh, it's in the lower left-hand corner. Just click on the microphone and then say, hi, John. And I'll know you're there. The entire population of people who have raised their hands has gone to the bar. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. So that being said, I'm going to uh, close that right now. And we're going to uh, move ahead over here. And I do want to remind everybody that we do have a seminar, a webinar coming up next Wednesday. It's called Video Made Easy. I'd love for you to come. It's how to use video in your business. 
and we'll start by talking about why video is so powerful. Hey, you're watching it right now. How to set up a studio for $150 or even less. Um, how to boost your organic SEO, which is search engine optimization and why that's important. We're gonna talk about how to build an audience, how to monetize your videos. And agents, you need to know that. Uh, this will get you business. We're gonna talk about how to screen prospective tenants, um, uh, landlords, this is ideal for you, and how to do all this for almost nothing. This program is presented to you live by me next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Uh, actually, it's a one-hour presentation, and then I'll take questions after that, but we're not going to keep you all day. And it's $49 um, unless you're a realtor or a landlord in which case we would love to have you come with our compliments. Uh, you do need to register. Go to money99.com and click the button that says video. Is the video button up? Uh, no, I'm working on it right now. Oh, we're working on the video button right now. So jot this down and then this afternoon, go get the, uh, the video, uh, sign up for video this afternoon. Or you can send an email to video at money99.com. That's video at money99.com. Margie will get that, sign you up, and send you a confirmation. How about that? So uh, we will certainly do that. Now, where are we? Oh, yeah. This is limited to the first 100 folks. I just don't have any more seats available uh, on this particular platform that we're going to be using. So um, I wish I did, but I don't. So that's where we are. Now, I'm going to skip uh, John Mangum. And then I'm going, because I'm going to save that for next week, because we've just about run out of time. And I'm going to go ahead and jump into our intermission. We're going to take a short break. And we will be right back with that in about four minutes. Here is our agenda, and we're going to move right into the landlord hour. Now, during this presentation, which is I pre-recorded with Ian uh, day before yesterday, it's a great presentation for landlords. Um, I want you to pay attention, but I also, if you have any questions or comments, we all learn from interacting. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is to go down to the bottom of your screen, click the Q&A, and put a question in or a comment, and everybody will be able to see that. They won't be able to see your name. Um, they'll just see what you typed in as your name. And most people just have their first name, but I'm not afraid to tell you that I'm John Adams. So anyway. Um, but I'd love it if you'd participate. And uh, so here goes. Thank you. Let's have another cup have of coffee. coffee. I've got Margie just brought me some coffee. So this is a perfectly good time to start with my friend, Ian Robbins. And so let's share screen and go right back to it. And we'll try to get us out of here on time. And remember that all of this is sort of um, premised on my idea that you can retire comfortably 
on as few as 10 little rental houses. You don't need to own 30. You don't need to own 50. You know, I, people ask me, should I own a hundred houses? And you certainly can if you want to, but my question is why? What is it you are trying to accomplish? What number are you trying to hit? If you want a hundred properties, I just would ask why. I mean, why not a thousand? Why not 10,000? And at what point do you have your needs met? And these are just questions that, you know, different people have different answers for. And that's okay. I'm not saying a hundred houses is a problem. I have a friend, a former pilot friend of mine in, in uh, Sonoya, Georgia, who does own over a hundred houses and he manages them himself. And I'm so proud of him because that was a goal that he had and he has achieved that goal. I don't have that goal. So anyway, let's forge ahead and see if we can get here to the next slide and start. Oh, I do want to remind you the 2021 landlord survival guide is out. I'm awfully proud of it. It is a work of art. It is no longer a printed book. It is a online subscription. Now we're going to have a printed guide, okay? But the book itself is online because it is a work in progress. And if I were to send you, um, today is January 16th. If I were to send you a printed copy of the book today, next week, it would be out of date, but you'd be reading it and you'd be saying, wait a minute, I thought this was valid information. Well, it was on the 16th, but things change. And what perfect example of that is this $25 billion rental assistance program. And we're going to know more about it next week. So if you've never been a subscriber or a purchaser of the survival guide before, it's $197. It's unconditionally money back guaranteed to be a great investment. If for any reason, it's not what you're looking for, just call us, tell us, and we'll still be friends. How about that? But I just think you're going to be very pleased. Most of my landlords tell me it saves them more than a month's rent every year for every property. That's a lot. Average rent now is what? 12, 14, $1,600, somewhere in there. I don't know. Yours may be different. So um, what do we know about this 25 billion dollars? And why do I always go ba 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 ba? Well, first, I'm a big fan of ba 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 Bing Crosby. But uh, also because I want you to understand the difference between billions and millions. A million is a thousand thousands. So, for example, if you took the old Atlanta Stadium that seated about 50,000 people and uh, you did that, that's 50,000. So, two of them would be a hundred thousand. So 20 Atlanta stadiums would hold 1 million people. 
Got it? 20 Atlanta stadiums, 1 million people. That's a lot. But a billion is a thousand times that many. So it would be, well, anyway, it's a lot. A billion is a thousand million. I am getting tangled. Well, we need a, we need to get a mathematician in here. So uh, money is coming to the states, but right now we do not know the process for applying on behalf of your tenant for this money. Um, the money is supposed to be made available to every state in the union by January 20th. Today is January 16th. Somebody somewhere is preparing for it but I have been all over the state and nobody knows. They keep telling me that Georgia's gonna get about $706 million, which is plenty for you and me. I'll split it with you, okay? Yeah, it's just, it's only gonna be you and me. We might as well split it. And it's gonna be allotted to the counties and the municipalities based somewhat on population. If the municipality doesn't have 200,000 residents, it is not eligible to handle its own distribution. Whole thing is really screwy. I don't know where they came up with this idea. Um, it is supposed to be handled by relief agencies. And we're talking about people like United Way or the um, housing authority of the county where your property is located or no, you know, it, we just don't know yet where the application is going to be taken. But if the money hits Georgia on the 20th, which is Wednesday, I would expect, I would hope by Thursday morning, we would know something. Um, it can be used for past due rent and future rent up to 12 months. In fact, they go on to say up to 15 months if necessary. I don't know what necessary is, but I like 15 months better than 12. And if it's paying for future rent, we might as well go on out to 15, okay? Um, we do know that the landlord will be able to apply on behalf of the tenant. This is going to be vitally important to you because I know your tenant and they don't care. Your tenant couldn't care less about this. Um, they're just not motivated because they're not allowed to spend this on their motorcycle payment or on a vacation or on a new big screen television set. It has to be used for rent uh, or for utilities, okay? And they don't care. But you, on the other hand, can apply on their behalf. You will have to get their signature, but that shouldn't be any difficulty. And then the tenant has to be impacted by COVID and the pandemic. Hey, hey everybody has been impacted. It is targeted to lower income tenants. And I'm not gonna go into all the details because one, we don't have them. And two, it varies by uh, locale. But I expect by Thursday or Friday, certainly next Saturday to have 
a lot of information on this and I'll make sure that you know about it. Okay. And there is more coming. You can, you can just bet on that. So I do need to remind you about the video made easy webinar. Um, it's presented by me. It's going to be next Wednesday, January 20th from 4 PM to 5 PM. It's uh, going to be a live Q and a afterwards. It's $49 unless you are a realtor or a landlord, in which case you get in free. Please go to money99.com and click on video, or that's not up at this moment, but it will be soon. But if you're in Eager Beaver, go ahead and send an email to video at money99.com. That's video at money99.com. And we got to get moving here. By the way, it's limited to the first 100 registrants. These things are always sellouts. So quick, go send me an email right now. Now, this is a pre-recorded segment uh, between me and Ian Robbins. And we're going to be talking about um, screening of tenants legally. And you need to know this. And so um, I'm going to um, play the pre-recorded segment with my friend Ian Robbins. Um, and I'm going to be answering questions in the Q&A while this is going on. So if you have any questions about anything, put that in the Q&A and I will try to answer them. And everybody can see that. You can see all of the Q&A. And I think, Margie, are we going to be able to pull those out and send it to people? Yeah. Okay, good. We will share that with you as well. We've had some great questions so far. So here we go with me and Ian Robbins. And we are back for our landlord segment. Uh, joining me is my very special guest and evil twin, Ian Robbins, the, the, uh, Landlord extraordinaire is out there. Uh, Ian is the uh, president for life. That's that's like President Avi. You remember the the last President Avi, Ian was uh, Baby Doc Duvalier that in Haiti that took like eighty billion dollars out of the poorest country in the world, and he's now living in Switzerland. And I think you probably have the same setup in mind. So. I could do it with 40 billion, but we'll think about that. I think the FBI is after him, but I'm not sure. In any case, Ian has uh, uh, managed to not only have a successful day job, which, of course, our uh, uh, 1031 friend, John Bangham, does the same thing, but Ian also invests in real estate on the side and has really uh, come into his own as a landlord, and uh, I think has a lot of good ideas to share with us. Ian, welcome to the Real Estate Coffee Break, as usual. Thank you, John. Always an honor to talk with you and your audience. Well, you're very kind. Um, one of the things that you pointed out to me that just I had a light bulb go off, and I, I love those light bulb moments because so often you know, when you hear something a different way or you're thinking about it in a different context, um, 
you sort of get a new insight sometimes. And, and one of the things you said that I'd like to uh, sort of take a deep dive on is um, you said there are three specific areas that are most important to you in considering an application. And I'd like to run over those. Let me just uh, right off the top, tell everybody what they are and we'll come back and look at them one by one. Is that okay? Sure. Good. The first you said is the person's rental history. And I'm assuming that's what their experience was not only with the last landlord, but even before that. Um, second is their uh, employment status or likelihood of continued employment, I guess, and then uh, their income. And those are sort of inextricably linked. In most cases, people are trading uh, hours for dollars, and we need to be able to verify that and find out what it is. And the third area is credit history and credit score. Why are you focused on those three things, Ian, instead of, uh, oh, if, if the person is, um, you just don't like their looks or they they have a funny accent or, um, you know, what, I don't know. They just, they're, they're slovenly and they're driving a foreign car. Because I treat it like a business and I am managing risk. So exactly what does that mean? Uh, uh, treat it like a business. Obviously, we know there are people that treat their real estate as if it's a hobby, and that just doesn't work out. But you have a systematic and a, a uh, documentable procedure, and you, you focused on these three things. What about these three items uh, sets them apart from some of the less tangible, I guess you'd say, um, um, things we take into account sometimes when we're judging other people? Well, John, basically it's about fear. Fear is um, about a having a fair credit um, complaint. So I know that if I can document what I'm doing it and doing it on a very business-like level and not worrying about any of the protected classes, just looking at how I'm going to get paid my rent, then I know that if something does happen where somebody files a, a complaint against me, then I have the right um, documentation. So I'm not fearful. And most importantly, I could sleep at night. And I think for our listeners, if we can teach them how to reduce stress and have something, as you say, tangible to work with, then they can have less less concern, and they can also run their business correctly. Well, well said. I I just uh, would would add to that. Um, I know you and I, and I think every um, American embraces our Constitution, which says that anybody um, who can afford to can live anywhere they want. We can't discriminate and certainly shouldn't discriminate on the basis of the color of somebody's skin or where they're from or how they happen to talk. These are not relevant um, factors in whether or not they're going to pay their rent. And as a businessman, I agree with you. I 
you know, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you look like. I want to know, are you going to be able to pay the rent? And, oh, and I, and I think these three are important. So, um, uh, let's, and, and the other thing I'd like to say right off the bat, I, I am not a member of a protected class. In fact, you and I are in the worst class possible, Ian. We are both angry old white men. Well, actually, John, I, I disagree with what you said. I think every breathing human being is in a protected class because we have a sex. And no, no kitty aside. So if you're looking at two self-qualified, I mean, two equal candidates, and one is a male, one is a female, and you choose the one over the other, then the, the other side can say you chose me because of my sex. Well, so, and, 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 and yeah, let me just jump in and say, there is no question that, um, that prejudice continues to exist. I hope it will end one day, but I'm afraid it's just part of, of life. And, um, to the extent that prejudice does exist, um, anytime anybody gets turned down for anything they apply for, you know, you've got one unit for rent and you may have 30 applications. You may have in your case, a hundred applications. That means a lot of people are going to be unhappy. And if I were a member of a protected class and I had experienced um, uh, prejudice at some time in the past in my life, um, then it would not be unnatural for me to say, wait a minute, the reason that Ian Robbins turned me down is that I'm from Mars. And, and Ian actually privately hates people from Mars, even though he's never said so. But just because I'm little and I'm a green man and I arrived in a spaceship, I don't think I should be denied this. When in fact, he has no evidence of income. But by concentrating on these three areas, you have a paper trail. If he files a, an equal opportunity complaint, before the Civil Rights Commission, which is very, very serious, by the way. And easy for them to do and cost them no money, but it costs me tons of money to defend, then I have to be able to work backwards and know that that's coming and expect it to come. And I think, John, something should be said about the word criteria. It is totally fair. It's inside the fair housing to have written criteria. And as long as you treat everybody the same and you have minimum standards, then they can't, they, they, don't, they have less of a case. They can sue you for anything at any time. But you know, to, to lighten it up a little bit, I don't qualify to play for the Atlanta Hawks. I am six, five foot 11 and I'm 58 years old. I don't qualify. It's perfectly acceptable if I turn in an application for the Atlanta Hawks for them to say, no, I can't come back and say, well, you discriminated against me. It's not going to happen, but people can try. So going back to landlording, as long as you have written criteria beforehand, and then you can apply them in a very um, business-like or non 
emotional way, then you can make a decision on your tenant. And I then, like it. And then I you like can it. really, you can have a score and it also has to survive a lot of time because unfortunately a fair housing complaint, they file the complaint and it can take two years for the for them to finally wake up and talk to you about your file. And then if you pull out your um, your file, you have the documentation, but it goes back to the killer lease. Uh, you know, you could have somebody in a, um, in a house for two and a half years and some, something can occur and you can go back to the lease and there'll be a clause in there that will survive. And it's a business decision and you don't have to worry about it. You can sleep at night and have less stress because you got the right lease. Well, that's good. I I uh, have not recently, but in years past, I've had people threaten uh, me with equal opportunity things. And I said, you know what? Get in line. Um, I don't take well to threats, but, uh, and that's why we have attorneys, but it certainly makes our attorney's jobs a lot easier and it makes it much harder for the plaintiff's attorney, which by the way, will be the United States of America um, versus John Adams or versus Ian Robbins. I, I don't understand why my tax dollars are going to prosecute me, but anyway, um, I certainly makes it easier if we follow these rules. So let's talk about these three and move right through them. Why is rental history important and how does it survive that uh, test of uh, relevant information? Well, I think it's all about also due diligence. So now I'm looking at somebody I give a key to and I'm allowed to find out about their, what's gonna happen, do they know how to pay the rent? So the term arm's length transaction comes up. So when I find out what their rental history is, are they renting from an apartment? If that's an apartment, that's a business, and they're not emotionally involved, they're not a relative, and I'm allowed to send them a form that I have, and my always question is, what's the number of the, of the office? And I get their email, and I send them a form, and I get a written report back. That's a very uh, correct way to get my information. And I'm asking questions like, how long were they there? Did they pay on time? How many times were they late? Were there any bounce checks? Would you read to them again? Any complaints from the neighbors or the residents nearby? Very basic uh, but safe questions. And I'm allowed to make a decision off of that. But let's say it's not an arm's length transaction. Let's say it's a relative, okay? And they, you ask them how long, um, how much money are they paying per month? Well, right away, we don't know if that's Tell, you know, accurate information, but let's say they say um, $700 per month, but on the application it says $900. Well, already I've gotten something where they've not given me accurate information. Well, I don't tell them they're a liar. I just send them an email. Um, you wrote down 700, you wrote down 900, but your aunt says 700. Can you give me more information? And I'm going to get an interesting answer, whatever it can be, but I don't really care. I just want to have, I know that I just caught them maybe in not telling me the truth. Um, so I look at, let's say they have no rental history. I'm allowed to score them with no rental history. 
because I have a managing risk again. So now I'm taking a, and my son doesn't have any rental history, so I'm not discriminating. We won't go there. Point is, there's a lot of people that have no rental history, but but why should I give them this asset that I have to repair, that I put a lot of time and money and effort and money, and I have to pay the mortgage if they have no rental history? I'm allowed to make a decision and go forward with what I need to do to make sure that when I give them a key that I'm going to get paid. Very good. Now, let me ask one question about rental history. Do most landlords that you contact agree once they have a, a signed request from the tenant, um, will they give you that information or, uh, or do they say, I'm sorry, it's our policy not to release this information to anyone? Well, if it's an apartment complex, I have a high 95 plus response rate from an apartment complex. Um, I've even reached out all the way to Hawaii and gotten a response very quickly. Wow. Um, the, the reason I ask Ian is um, from time to time, we have people ask us, um, what was your experience with this person? And we just have a policy. We don't, even if the uh, tenant requested, we don't make that information available. It's not public and we, we just don't share it. Um, and that's to prevent anyone from turning around and suing us for having told the truth. Uh, I just don't wanna go there. And I understand the predicament of the landlord and I uh, certainly wanna cooperate any way I can, but as you say, you've gotta treat everybody the same way and I don't want to get involved. So anyway, when you have a tenant move out, if if they're applying somewhere else, are you willing to to respond to a request for that information? John, I have I can't remember the last time I've gotten that request, which surprises me. But what I I would probably um, respond in a very generic way. Sure. I do I do understand what you're saying about your policy, and as long as everybody who asks for information from you, you give them the same answer. A fair housing person would say, John Adams gave the same answer to every person who requested. Right. Um, when right. I get my first one, I'll let you know. But I have Okay. That. <laughs> that just hadn't happened. Let's move to our second um, uh, element of um, the application that you are looking at real carefully. And that is the area of um, likelihood of, or I guess confirmation of employment or likelihood of continued employment and um, current and likely future income. How do you go about getting that information and know that the person you're talking to on the other end of the line is in fact in a position to know whether or not what's on the application is true? Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm going on faith on some of it. One thing I do that I'd like to share with your listeners, if I'm calling somebody about employment, I'll write down, I talked to this person, Joe Jones, at 8.43 a.m. on January 10th, 2021. I just want to document. And I think if I was in court and I have 30 different documentations of all these different applications, a judge would say, you tend to take really good notes. You have a very good pattern here. 
looks like, or even if I leave a message, I'll write down what I did. So I'm going to document every action because I'm so limited in my time anyway. So if I do something, I'm going to, I'm going to write it down that I've done it. So that's first thing. Um, but I, if I'm working with a big company, sometimes they won't talk to me, and I get that. There are tools. There is something called the employment line that we can go into later, but you can call and get very basic information. But I'll also look at employment as what type of employment. So let's use a mechanic. I look at that as a very transferable skill, probably in high demand. So if they – now, I don't want them changing um, – locations probably every month or two months, but if they were there for one year and then went somewhere for two years, I, I, I look at that as a solid income. But if, or even if someone cutting hair, that's a very transferable skill. But there's other, there's other um, professions that I have to give that some more thought and get more documentation. You know, one of the, uh, just mentioning different um, professions or occupations, if you will. Um, as you know, some of my little rentals are in the area of Emory University and Emory University Hospital. And some of the best tenants I have ever had are nurses. They tend to be very responsible. I don't think you could be a nurse and be irresponsible. And they also tend to um, have very stable uh, income, and if for some reason they got short on cash, nurses can always pull an extra shift if they want to. Um, I mean, talk about somebody who's in high demand, and I suspect going forward will be in high demand, and it's going to be people in the healthcare profession. So that's interesting. Um, do you I also have, look at that John, as go education? Ahead. Well, they spent a lot of time to get to that point. They didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a nurse. That's right. They applied themselves to a lot of internal work before they can become a nurse. But I want to say something about unemployment for a minute. I, I Just one comes to mind. We can go into so many. But I had a guy who was a roofer, and his wife or his girlfriend worked for retail. And his three generations of roofing and uh, retail um, – it was a mall nearby. It looked like it was pretty solid. Well, within a period of three months, uh, she decided she wanted to go to school and gave up her retail job. One income gone. And the roofer got hurt. No income. So you can go from two to zero. So going back to managing risk, I made a good decision. But at the same time, I have zero income coming into yep. that house. It had nothing to do with the protected class. This guy can't be a roofer anymore. She wanted to go better herself in another profession. What do I do now? <laughs> well, read the, book. <laughs> read the book. That's right. All right. Um, do you have a income standard that, that is based on rent? I, I hear people all the time saying that I don't want the rent that you're going to have to pay to be more than um, one third of what your gross income is, uh, on a monthly basis or, or whatever the number is. Do you have a set number? Well, I don't, I've never heard the one third part. I've heard it in a little different direction. Three, right? three times. Three rent. Times, yeah. Three times rent. But I would say that I use that as a standard 
and it is in writing, but I'm also looking at source of income and I've done some reading and you gotta be careful with that because it could be, could be coming from government sources. But I like what you say in your book and your tapes and your talking. You want someone that's going out and making a living every day and, and putting on their, you know, their tool belt and going out and make a living. Now, you got to be careful with that, but you're right. It doesn't mean that you're, but, but the answer, I think it's, a, uh, yes, I have a standard of three times, but I'm also looking at how long is the income? Like if somebody wants to pay me advance rent, which I don't do, and we don't want to go there, what happens when the advance rent runs out? Where's the, am I going to get a stream of income? I want yep. to just stay for a while. Yep. So if you have money now, what about after it runs out? So hopefully I answered that question. Very good. Very good. And finally, let's talk about the power of credit history and credit scoring. And I would like to preface our uh, examination of this by reminding everyone that um, in about 19... 70s, mid 70s, I think is when this happened. Uh, actually, it was 77, 78. Margie and I bought our first house for us to live in. And we'd been married a year and a half, and I'd been renting for my brother and this other jazz. And um, a, a friend of the family made a home available, and I didn't have a job. And I, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I, you know, I did have a degree, but that, that and a, a dollar won't buy you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. And so, um, he said, look, um, there's, I'm selling you the house for 50,000. There's a $40,000 loan on it. Why don't you go see Mr. Anderson, uh, out at Tucker federal, and of course, this was a portfolio loan. And this is before I even knew what a portfolio loan was, but it meant that Tucker Federal had it in their portfolio and it had not been sold on Fannie or Freddie. And uh, he said, go see Mr. Anderson and tell him that uh, I think you're, you're going to be okay. And I'll say something to him. So I get out there and he uh, looks at my application and he says, well, you seem not to have a job. <laughs> I said, well, sir, I don't, but I'm going to. And he said, well, I'm sure you are. He said, um, how are you going to make the payments? And I said, well, my wife's um, working part-time at Fulton National Bank and this, that, and the other, and I've got some money coming. And finally he said, oh, hell, what does your father do? <laughs> and I said, well, he is a professor at Agnes Scott College, and, and Mr. Anderson was quite impressed that my dad was a professor at Agnes Scott College, and, and I don't know what brought him around, but he said, well, if you get in trouble, he'll probably bail you out. I'm going to go ahead and approve this. Now, <laughs> that was then, and this is now, and I think what happened was the banking industry and the lending industry came to the conclusion that they needed to have a tool that only took into account relevant information that did not include any of the 
information related to protected classes. So Fair Isaac and Company really was one of the first companies that created what they call algorithms. And I am first to admit, I don't know what an algorithm is. I think it's a formula of some sort, but uh, it doesn't ask your age because your age really is not relevant. It doesn't ask your skin color or uh, your uh, faith or where you're from. Um, it doesn't ask if you're male or female. It doesn't ask all of these things. It just doesn't care. All it cares about is um, your past performance in meeting your credit obligations. And it takes that information and attempts to predict the likelihood that you will meet your commitments. And that's exactly what you're talking about when you talk about managing risk. Is that why our credit score is so important? It is very important. And yes, um, I do look at the credit score and I, everything you said is spot on. But, and your listeners would probably ask the question to you and me and anyone else, what is your minimum credit score? But here's where I'm gonna go offline. I don't have a minimum credit score, but doesn't mean that I don't agree with 80% of what you said. It's just that I've had people say I went bankrupt uh, two years ago and they have a 795 credit score and something didn't make sense there. I, I get it. They cleaned up. That's the law. The law says we start fresh and they had very little credit. But if they had a bankruptcy, the question would be, which you can't put on papers, well, what changes did you make after your bankruptcy? And they're not probably going to go into detail on that or made many changes. So I I look at what's on the score and, and on the report. I do read it. So the very first thing, and I've been, like when I call, when I check a credit score, I'll see if there's any rental collections. And right away, if there's a rental collection, I've got something that I can work with. Again, I'm going to send an email. Hey, you said you've never had a rental collection. It's one of our questions, and it's showing up on your uh, credit report. Can you give me more information? Right away, I now have two documentation about what happened, so I can deny them and sleep at night. Um, but I'm also going to look at what you said. So let's go back to a pattern. I agree with that, yes, but you have a car. Okay, well, when did you get this car? Well, if you got this car in November 2020 and you rent, you, you just set it up for seven years of payments, we both know, as you teach, John, it's a declining asset. And why are you setting up for seven years of payments? I mean, we go all day on that. So, so that's a problem because that's a liability. Now, they might have a great 1-1 and they paid November, December, and that's a great score. But let's look a little deeper and see about all the next seven years of payments and the level of payments that's going to come. What are they going to pay first, the rent or are they going to pay for the car? I bet they're so, going to pay for the car. Right. But then I also look at the pros. I'm not the pro. I look at Aaron Rents. If they have a collection of Aaron Rents, these guys are good at getting over the Pros, pro. I mean, that's just one example. But these guys know their game. And if you beat Aaron Rents, that's just one example. Then 
you're pretty good. And sure enough, I actually met someone. And she said, you're right. We're really good. And if it's on there, they've done something they shouldn't have done. So yeah. I look a little closer at the score, but I know everybody's going to ask, what score do you have? And I know I'm supposed to have an answer. I'm not going to give you one, but I will say that I will look deeply at what, what it is. So you're, you're really weighing a variety of factors here, um, strengths, uh, if in your judgment, a, a strength over here uh, compensates for a weakness over here, that may be acceptable to you. Correct. That's okay. right. I'm going to, but if I seal, but then, you know, there's medical. So you got to be careful with that Sure, sure. on the scores because could they control that? No, but there's a liability there. There's also um, education, but I also look at it from education. Like if I see, many educational loans they've tried several times and then they didn't pay they're telling me that they may not finish what they started again no judgments it's just that when you're in my house are you going to finish what you start now you're speaking to me through your credit report very interesting and i think a lesson for um everyone watching and listening right now um to focus on relevant factors um, in the screening of their tenants, in the consideration of their applications. Those three um, key elements, again, are the rental history, the employment situation, and the income history. And then finally, the credit report and the credit score. And one thing you said earlier, I want to um, just put an exclamation point on heads to do with documentation of your actions. When you call somebody, you talk to Ed Johnson at 8.32 a.m. Uh, who confirmed employment. I think that's very important. You're right. If you get in front of a judge, they are looking for a pattern of behavior that applies to everybody but once they identify that pattern, I think it improves their consideration of your actions as a business. And, and you can prove this stuff. And uh, what I really like is you're in the business of limiting liability, evaluating that liability. We're not here trying to keep people out. In fact, just the opposite. I want my people to stay forever. <laughs> if if I could get somebody to commit to a 30-year lease with with uh, inflation rider, I'd do it right now. I mean, why not? Have them buy the house for me. So although it's 66, I'm not sure I'll be here in 30 years. But uh, we'll see what happens when it comes to that front. Ian, well, is, John, there, is there anything else that you'd like to share with folks as they think about consideration of applications? Well, sure, because, John, in your book, you talk about this, and I appreciate what you have in there. It's called an adverse action letter. People don't like to get rejected. But going back to the concept of documentation, so you've come up with some things that don't look good. And you, your adverse action letter is a good start. I will say that I, I use a different one because it has a lot more boxes to check. Okay, And I once asked an attorney, I said, should I check all the boxes? And she said, just pick the one that's the strongest. And I don't agree. I actually check them all. I just want them to fight 
Go fight seven battles because I'm gonna. I have seven battles to fight, and you're not gonna win on this fair housing deal. Whatever. The point is, is that an adverse action letter for our audience is you've said no, and you you can't. You have to say you can't. You don't have to go into why in a lot of detail, but you have to cover it in some way. And and your adverse action letter in the book talks about that. And so now you have a, a again a documentation. For, for, to um, answer to that you've told them correctly. Again, you said something actually a while back. You don't like to talk to anybody. Most of mine is done by email. Once I meet with them, if you watch closely, I meet with them. I talk to them on the phone very quickly. I meet with them very quickly at the house. But there's so many people around. It's a very quick conversation. And the rest of it is by email. And so, um, and if they call me and they ask about their application, which they do, I'll just say, check your email and I'll get off the phone because I don't want anything coming back to me that I said something. Very, very wise advice. Uh, the, the adverse action letter, I'm not sure that it is actually required when you turn down someone for a rental application. But the reason that I love it is it says, um, it begins by saying your application could not be accepted, um, period. And the decision was made in whole or, or in part based on information supplied by the following credit reporting agency. And, and that says to them, don't bother Ian, go sue Equifax. Have a great and, and they can they can spin their wheels at Equifax for years and get nowhere. In the meantime, you know you're sitting pretty with a much better tenant. So I I like that, and I sort of like checking all the boxes too. What's the difference? I mean, might as well uh, see what happens. Ian Robbins, you uh, as always are a font of knowledge and. Uh, 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 we always enjoy talking with you. Um, and I had a good teacher, a great well, teacher in you, John. I had someone, by the way, John, I just have to tell you today, I had somebody who I learned something from you. I told them about it. They said, Ian, did you know you told me that several years ago and I used it and I avoided a big problem. And I, it was all because of the root of John Adams. Everybody, you should know that. I'm not just saying that because he's here. I'm telling you, this is what a tenant said to me today. And she gave me the move. Oh, yeah, because she remembered what I told her. Yeah. Well, I, and thank you for that. I So many of the recommendations that I make in the Landlord Survival Guide are based on contributions from folks like you, um, ideas from attorneys that we work with uh, who may have run into a situation that I've never run into, but they don't want the rest of us to make maybe the same mistake that their client made. And it's sort of like a, it's a joy for me because I'm able to, um, um, I guess you could say edit all of these good ideas that come in and, and try to put them all together to give landlords the best shot possible. Uh, but I, I just want to reiterate, and you and I have talked about this, a good tenant is a valuable asset. And well, this, is, this is somebody we want to keep for years and years and years if we possibly can. If you've got people that move out every year and then somebody new moves in, 
it's hard to make money that way. Well, it's, that's why you wrote the book called Survival. That's it, right. It, that's right. The Landlord Survival Guide. All right, Ian Robbins, thank you, my friend. When is the next meeting of the Landlord Subgroup of Georgia Real Estate Investors, please? Well, we've been on vacation because we took off uh, um, Thanksgiving and Christmas, so we're going to dust it off, and we're coming back. Please bear with me. Uh, we meet the third, uh, the fourth Thursday of the month so that would be in january we are going to be meeting on january 28th at seven o'clock i'd love to tell you about the georgia rebuilding but that's not going to happen yeah so probably not by zoom but i'm hoping um well i hope i think we're all hoping this COVID thing gets done ian i gotta run because uh we are out of time for this week but thank you and we look forward to talking with you again real soon Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you, John. Okay, very good advice. Uh, special thanks to Ian Robbins for uh, making that possible. Um, I hope you got some good ideas out of that. If you have any questions, put them in Q&A. And I would encourage each of you, we have the biggest crowd that we have ever had um, right now. And you ought to go in and review the Q&A because there's some very good questions and I hope some good answers there as well. And that's what this show is all about is to try to help you uh, get the best deal possible on your real estate. If you're a first time home buyer, I want you to get that first time home buyer money. If you are a realtor, a real estate professional, I want you to take advantage of all the tools that are out there. We are just about out of time. I do want to mention this. Um, I'll give you a, 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 a warning. Okay, for next week, for next Saturday, first, we will be concentrating heavily on the um, emergency rental assistance program next week, just because I think that's going to be breaking news. Additionally, we may know something about the plans of the Biden administration toward real estate. Um, we'll, we'll see when that comes out. But there is a piece of software that I would encourage you to go look at. And I'm, we're not going to cover it this week because we're out of time. But go look for Lumen, the word L-U-M-E-N, followed by the numeral five. Just go to Google, type in Lumen 5. And that will be our software of the week next week. And we'll be looking at it. You can get a head start by heading there right now. And I think that's just about where we are. Let's see what's left here. Uh, we do not want to start over with Ian. And so I'm going to try. No, that didn't work. I'm going to try to advance beyond him. And we are back. It didn't work as usual. <laughs> uh, remember, and this is just a parting shot, that in, in landlording, we say that 
This is a business. It's not a hobby. Get a strong lease agreement. Um, make sure you use a written rental application and, and do proper screening like Ian and I have been talking about. Make sure you collect the rent. Don't let people stay there for nothing. And so many of you have a hard time getting the rent in. That's the number one job that you have. Um, inspect the interior of the property at least once a year. That needs to be documented. It needs to be in writing. I also would like pictures taken at that time. And your tenant needs to know you're coming. Um, otherwise, they're going to just tear the place to shreds. And so anyway, get inside the property. In Georgia, for sure, but I think anywhere, go ahead and do your move-in and move-out inspection checklist. And remember, last but not least, your tenant is a valuable asset. And you need to educate them. You need to treat them like a child. You need to tell them what to do, but be gentle with them because they're just like small children. So, hey, we have run out of time. This is hard to believe. Well, guess what, folks? That's the 3 mark for the John Adams Show. The Real Estate Coffee Break. And this is John Adams reminding you your financial future is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. Hey, make, your, make sure yours is a good one. So long, everybody.